Welcome to the Ocean Hills Podcast. Our hope is that today's message would help you connect more deeply with God and with others. If you would like more information on what is happening in the Ocean Hills community, check out our website at oceanhills.org or download the Ocean Hills app. If you are encouraged by our ministry and would like to partner with us financially, you can give through your mobile device by texting Ocean Hills to 77977. We hope you enjoy this message. Breakfast with Cozy. That was awesome uh, this morning. And before John comes up, we're just going to, um, a little a little moment to laugh at ourselves and uh, just get into the topic of this morning. So watch this video, enjoy this, and looking forward to the word. Rev. I give to God by enjoying what he has given me, okay? I mean, do you really think he expects something back? Now, I know there's a lot of people at church that would not understand this line of reasoning. That's why, just to make things simple and not to cause any controversy, I like to carry what I call the little empty envelope, all right? You see, when the plate gets passed, I bloop, put it in there like that. The deacon's counting the money. They only know me as the crazy empty envelope guy, but the people sitting around me, clueless. (laughs) I win, they win, God wins. No one gets hurt because no one knows. God knows. Huh? I only agreed to make this video if they promised not to tell you who I am. I mean, it's really none of your business. And it's also none of your business how much I give. I'm not gonna brag about it, okay? I mean, yeah, it's cool. I just got married and I have a kid, okay? And sure, you know, we get around, we're doing okay. But look, who I am and what I give is, it's between God and I, okay? I mean, the sacrifices I make are between me and God, and my reward is in heaven. So look, don't try to figure out who I am or what I give, because honestly, it's it's none of your business. I tithe. Okay, that's a lie. I don't tithe. I want to tithe. That's a lie, too. I don't even think about it. Seriously, you think God's up there like with a big old checklist going, hey, you tithe, you don't tithe? I don't buy that at all. Okay, I kind of buy that. Because what I say, give to God what is God's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I don't even know any Caesars. That's a lie. I know four Caesars, even the little one. Let me ask you a question, huh? How's your mutual fund? Hey, for that matter, how's all your funds? Ha- has the fund left your funds, huh? Has your do-re-me taken a W-A-L-K, huh? <laughs> what if I told you that I knew about an investment you could make that the return would be mind-boggling? And, 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 it's, and it's promised. It's guaranteed. I know what you're saying. There's no guarantees. This one's guaranteed, okay? Malachi 3.10. So it says in the Old Testament, it says, test me, give to God, and he will give you back. It goes like this. I give this, he gives this. I give this, he gives this. I give this. Up right up there. He keeps giving. I can't outgive God. How crazy is that? <laughs> Do I love him? Sure, whatever. I'm just saying, if you give, he gives back. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? It works, though. How do you think I afforded that house in Tahiti? <laughs> oh, what time is it? It's tithing time. I tithe, but just not like in the form of a 10% check per se. Let me tell you what I mean. When I go to church on a Sunday morning, they're selling donuts, I buy some, boom, that's a tithe. When my whole Sunday school class wants donuts and I out of the goodness of my heart buy a whole bunch for the Sunday school class, boom, that's another tithe. But it's not about me spending money. It's about the smile on people's faces. That, my friends, is tithe enough for me. 
Case in point, the church was having date nights where we could take our spouse out for an evening, and they were charging $25 for childcare. Boom shakalaka tithe. I'll tell you what the biggest tithe was. When I spent over $100 on our meal, and my wife was grinning ear to ear, that, my friends, a tithe. I, I would like to give. I would, okay? But everything right now is just crazy. I mean, just crazy, you know? I mean, not normal crazy, really crazy, you know? And if after I paid my bills and took care of the things that I need and want, then I would, I would consider giving something, but not, now is crazy. We're, we're, we're gonna give later, we've already talked about it. I mean, down the road we'll be crazy givers, but right now it's just crazy. Yeah, I have money, that's a fact. But you know what, it's a heart thing between me and the Lord and the pastor because he needs to know what I'm giving now that we have this little building campaign going on, if you know what I'm saying. And pastor, I'd give a little bit more, I'd give a little something, something if you'd have that music minister sing a couple more hymns now and then, huh? Hey, what's this, watch this. Is that a Benjamin? I think it is. Benji likes hymns. Come on, you want it? Ah, come on, Pastor, do what I say, huh? Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> oh, in my life, Lord, be glorified in me. I put money in the plate. Wait, wait, wait. Look what I have here. I hope it doesn't interfere. That everyone can hear how I give with cheer That everyone could be like me I feel like I could just close us in prayer. That was the sermon right there. That was amazing. We try and show that, I don't know, every couple of years. You've seen it before, some of you. Uh, if you're here for the first week uh, in a while, we are in a new series. It's just a little three-week series, and it's called Bruised Camels. I didn't explain why we titled this message series Bruised Camels. I was kind of leaving that for you to figure out, but... Um, I thought I would begin by, by revisiting last week, Mark chapter 10, and that's kind of where we landed last week, the story of the rich young ruler who had uh, checked all the boxes uh, when he had this conversation with Jesus, and then Jesus said to him, well, there's one thing you lack, go sell everything you have uh, and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And uh, as Mark explains it, the young ruler went away sad. And then it doesn't say Jesus chased after him and said, no, 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 I didn't mean, you know, and try and soften that. What Jesus did was then enter into a conversation with his followers, his disciples. And he said two times in the conversation. And whenever Jesus says something two times, it's like whenever anybody repeats themselves, there's an emphasis. It's, it's, it's like a neon sign. It's like taking a yellow highlighter and, and underlining it and highlighting it. And he said, it is hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That should 
unnerve you and me a little bit. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. What does that mean? And there are some of you that uh, maybe it was explained to you, and I would say, I, I, based on what I know, it's an erroneous explanation. Some people say, well, you know what? Back in first century Jerusalem, there was this small little city gate that was like a little needle hole, and a camel would have to, they'd have to take everything off the camel, and then the camel would get on its knees and, and kind of shuffle through this opening, this, this eye in the needle in the city gate of Jerusalem. It kind of sounds cool, but it's not true. Uh, it, it, the truth is, is it's actually the use of hyperbole. Hyperbole is an overstatement, an emphasis to make a point. Jesus was making a point. How hard it is, how challenging it is, how difficult it is for a rich person. Now, all of us are going, I'm not rich. That's, that's the person sitting about three people down from me. But again, those of us that live in Santa Barbara, those of us that live in North America, we are in the top 10% at least, maybe 5% of wealth on the planet. If you live in this town, if you can pay rent in this town and afford to live in this town, you, you actually are in the top 90, 95%. You're, you're right at the top, and I am too. So why is it so hard for us? Why would Jesus say that? It's hard. It's hard. And I think for me, and as I share this message, this whole series, just so you know, when I'm, when I'm prepping this, I'm, I'm preaching to myself today. I'm, I'm living this out. I'm wrestling with this. I'm living this. I'm struggling with this. I don't think you ever graduate. Oh, I got the giving thing figured out. I think there are moments in our lives where we do, where we're flourishing, we're thriving, we're generous, and then there are moments when life gets messy and challenging, and then we're tempted kind of at that crossroads to go, now what am I going to do? And, uh, and that's real life. We're all, you know, we, we listened to Christine Kane at the Bethel conference last week, and uh, she was just like kicking us in the teeth, just going, be a fool for Christ, stand up for God. We just got to go for it. And, and, and the part that was missing from the message, in my opinion, was the application. I wanted to say, you know, because everyone's like, yes. And I want to say, all right, pull out your checkbook, because this is where the rubber meets the road. We're all about being fired up and being convicted. But, but conviction without application is just kind of, all right, now what, right? It's meaningless. And so this morning, we're going to take another look at this idea of being a bruised camel. It's hard. What we're talking about is hard. It's hard for you. Some of you are like, oh, crap. That's what you're thinking. All right, I'm going to take next week off. We're talking about money again next week because it's hard. It's personal. It's private. It reveals our heart. So let's just jump into this. In John chapter 8, 44, I put it in your, your message notes there. Jesus was speaking about spiritual life and that we actually, that there is an adversary, there's an enemy, there's a devil. He says, 
when he lies, he's speaking about the devil, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So we have to start by saying, one, those of us that are followers of Jesus, you know, kind of in 21st century, ni- or 19, two, 2000, in, in this century, we kind of go, devil, I don't know about that. Jesus said the devil's real. There's an adversary, there's an enemy, and he's the father of lies. He's an expert at lying. He's deceptive. He is speaking lies into my life, into your life. And this morning what I want to address is just a few lies that that I wrestle with. And as I told the children's workers earlier this morning when I shared this with them, because I get to wrestle with it, I figure maybe some of you, maybe not all of you, but some of you wrestle with these. So let's just rip through these. There's five lies that we believe. Number one, if I tithe or if I give generously, I will run out of money. If I give more, I'm going to run out of money. The Jewish wisdom literature in Proverbs says, blessed are those who are generous. Blessed. You're blessed if you live this way rather than this way. Here's my question. I have a question under each lie. Have you ever met a person who lived generously and then they ran out of money? Have you ever lived generously? Raise your hand if you go, I, I actually did that. I lived generously. I gave sacrificially and I became homeless. And I had to sell my house. And I had to whatever it is. I think in my life, I've, I've wrestled with that. That's the fear factor, right? If I give more, I'm going to run out of money. If I live the way God wants me to live, I'm going to run out of money. And that fear poisons my spirit. It clouds my judgment. It prevents me from living a bigger story, living my best story, becoming the best version of myself, which is to live a radically generous life. Here's the second lie. I will be happier if I have more. All the social research doesn't back that up, nor does Scripture. Again, Jewish wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Those who love money will never have enough. Look at the next line. How meaningless to think that money brings true happiness. It does bring some comfort. It does bring some freedom. It's not evil. Loving it is evil. Living for it is is unhealthy. But money does bring freedom and comfort. But it doesn't bring happiness. Question. Do you know any wealthy people who are unhappy? Right? Having more doesn't equal I will be happier. I know very wealthy people, they're not talking to their spouse. They're throwing things at each other. They're yelling at each other. They're lonely. They're estranged from their extended family. Having more does not equal happiness. Number three, lie. Money will make me or makes me secure. I can finally depend on my net worth, my Schwab account. Proverbs 23, more Jewish wisdom literature. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Why? Be wise enough to know when to quit. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Most of us, I don't know if 
we even know what that means. Quit trying to make more money, right? And then look at the next phrase. In the blink of an eye, wealth, say it out loud, disappears. So here's my question. Have you ever lost money and you did not see it coming? Maybe it was stock market. Maybe it was a business deal. Maybe you got scammed. Maybe you were betrayed by a business partner. Maybe the economy changed, but you lost money. It disappeared, and you didn't see it. You didn't plan on it. It happened. It disappeared, right? I'm going to guess most of us. I know every one of us that uh, has lived in the last 12 years or whatever, 2008, 2000, that, that whole stock market drop, if you were invested in that, you lost 40% of your money. Fourth lie. I will give more when I make more. I've bought that lie. I've believed that lie. Oh, yeah. And what I've learned is giving is a habit. When, I, when Natalie and I were young in ministry, we were in our early 20s. We were youth pastors. And the lie was that I believed was I'm giving my life. I'm like the guys in that video. I'm giving my life. I'm giving my time. I'm making $23,000 a year working in Montecito. They can support the church. That's not me. I'm giving my life to the church. That's a lie. God calls all of us. And I remember thinking, well, once I make more, I'll give more. And that's just not true. Giving is a spiritual exercise. It's a habit. It's a discipline. It's something we practice and it actually is harder. The more money you make, the harder it is, believe it or not, to give it away percentage-wise. You're going, whoa, am I really going to give that much away? It doesn't get easier. It actually gets harder. So my question is, have you ever made more money and increased your standard of living but not your standard of giving? I have. I confess that. That's why it's a lie that we buy into. When I make more, I'll give more. And then here's the, the, the fifth one. I was reading an article that said this. Accumulating wealth means that I'm smarter and better than others. Accumulating wealth. You know, actually, when you have more money, you do. You actually feel like I'm smarter than I'm smarter than you guys. I figured it out. And I'm better than you. I would never say that. You would never say that. But there's this feeling. And that's poison. That's poison to my soul. That's arrogance. That's pride. And so let me remind you, I think every follower of Jesus should read this passage on a weekly basis. Deuteronomy 8 written to that community, the Israelites. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, decrees that I'm giving you today. Verse 12, when you become full and prosperous and have built fine homes, plural, fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large, your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, what are the next two words? Be careful. Whoa, there's a warning there. Be careful. Why? 
Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. Keeps talking about forgetting the Lord our God. That's why we need to be careful because the more we have, it's like, I don't need God. There's a temptation. It's easy to drift slowly away from God, to forget the work of God. Verse 14, do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. There it is again. Who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Keep going. He gave you water from the rock. Verse 16. He fed you with manna in the wilderness. Verse 17. He did all this. Why? So you would never say to yourself, I, John Ireland, have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy, my own personality, my own gifts, my own wisdom, my own experience. All of this success is about me. I earned it. I deserve it. I'm entitled to it. Verse 18. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. He is the one who gives you wisdom to be successful. He is the one, in his timing, introduces you to the network of relationships, the business partner, the investor, the deal that comes through, the job that you got, the promotion that you got. God is behind that. He's in that. That's what we're learning here in this passage. It's not about you. He's orchestrating it. He's sovereign. Scripture says he's in control. He's sovereign. Yes, you're part of that. Of course, I'm part of that. But when we begin to just believe the lie that he's not part of it, it's all about me, we forget God. And we start thinking we're better than others. We're smarter than others. And I get to do what I want because I earned it. I deserve it. Verse 18, remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Question, you ever felt smarter and better than others because of where you're at in your life financially? You own a home in Santa Barbara. You own a home in Montecito. You own a home, you own a car, you have a job, you know, blah, 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 blah. This speaks to everybody in this room this morning. So there's conviction. But conviction are going, okay, it's, it's not enough. It, it's okay, maybe this does speak to me. Now what? So I want you to turn, if you brought your Bibles, to Acts chapter 20. Acts 20. The background of this passage is Paul has been in Ephesus. He's with the elders, and he's leaving them after three years. And he says in verse 25 that he doesn't think he'll ever see them again. It's, so it's a sad moment. That's the background. It's a sad moment. He's saying goodbye to people that he cares about deeply. He's poured himself into this community deeply. It's not a kind of pretended care. It's genuine. And here's what he writes, verse 32. And now I entrust to you, I entrust you to God. And what? The message of his grace. 
that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he set apart for himself. Look at verse 33. He says, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. So sharing. He's saying, I modeled that. I lived that. Verse 35, and I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. And then it's just an interesting thing that Paul says. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Essentially, what he's saying here is two things. One, I commit you to the message of grace, the gospel of God's unfailing love. You know, when you're speaking last words, you're saying goodbye to someone, you're moving or you're on your deathbed, and Paul's not on his deathbed, but he is saying goodbye to this community. His words matter. They're weighty. What you share in that goodbye, those final, that final time with people, it matters. And what he says are two things. He says, I, I, I commit you to the gospel of grace. I want you to know that God loves you and that this gospel, it doesn't tear you down. It actually builds you up. Some of you are, walk into this place, you think, oh gosh, the Bible, it just tears me down. It's going to rip me off. It's going to ruin my life. The gospel of grace, according to Paul, says it's, it's able to build you up. And give you an inheritance. And then there's a second thing. It's more blessed to give than receive. He's, his final words. Why would he say that? Would you say that? I don't know that I would say that. He's saying, you know what I want to leave you with? I want you to become radically generous people. It's actually better to live a life open-handed than close-fisted. To live open and free and generous, radically, lavishly. Sharing your resources so that the work of God can continue. And so here as I close, I'm going to give you three things that really close. Why? The question I kept asking myself this week, why, why, why would Jesus say it's more blessed to give than receive? Why? I mean, it sounds sexy. We all would go, yeah, that's right. But when it comes time to live that way, when it comes time to go, okay, Yikes, I, got, I brought too much money to church. I hope he doesn't ask me to empty my wallet, you know. It's more blessed to give than receive. Really? Why would Jesus say that? Three things really quickly. One, I believe it increases my closeness to Christ. It increases my closeness to Christ. You might go, how does, I don't, I don't understand how that works. You're saying that when you give, it increases your, yeah, I, I, it does. And here's why. I was thinking about marriage. You know, there's, I don't remember who gets credit for saying this, but it was a couple that was married for over 60 years, and they said they had the most amazing relationship on planet Earth. And here's the, this is what they said, why they have it. The husband said, what's important to her, I choose to make important to me. Think about that. What's important to my wife, I choose to make important to me. That's what he said. And then she said the exact same. What's important to him, I choose to make it important to me. Well, here's what I want you to know. Living a generous life is important to Jesus. That's, that's what he's saying. 
in Scripture over and over again when he talks about money. It's important to me that you live a generous life. Jesus is saying that to me and to you. And if I'm a follower of Jesus, if I love Christ, if that's important to him, then I'm going to make that important to me. And you know what happens in marriage when you start living that way? You feel closer to the person you're married to. You experience an intimacy and a closeness. When you make choices, you say, I'm going to choose what's important to him. I'm going to choose to make that important to me. So that's one of the impacts of why Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It increases my closeness. The second thing it does is it grows my character to be more like Christ. When I sacrifice, when I let go of control and I give generously, I become more like Jesus. I do. Because Jesus was a giver. Jesus lived a sacrificial life. He lived this way. He gave himself up for all of us. So when I live this way, there's a character development happening inside of me when I live open-handed, when I, when I live to, to, to give to the causes of Christ. And then third, it impacts not my, our capacity to extend the mission of Christ. See, I, I believe when it functions in a healthy way, when it functions right, that the local church is God's best strategy to heal the world. You might disagree with that. But my question to you is, is and you should give to, what is God's best strategy to reach the world and to heal the world? What is his best strategy? You should be giving your money to that, and I should be too. Now, the church at its worst is, is probably God's worst strategy, right? Dysfunctional, unhealthy, toxic churches that's not God's strategy to heal the world. That's, that's contributing to the problem. So my argument, though, is I want to be part of creating a healthy church where we love everyone always, where we're giving ourselves and living this way generously, not controlling, not greedy, not bullying people into giving, but saying, leading by example and saying, I want the Spirit of God to do the work of God in my heart, and I want my capacity to be part of a family, that we together, our capacity is extended when we live a radically generous life. So let me stop. What have you heard today? Where have, where have you sensed a nudge, a stirring, a, ooh, that lie, I'm believing that lie? We're going to come to the table this morning, but on each corner of the platform... We have these little books called The Treasure Principle. Has anybody read this book? So it's just a little book, yeah. This is a book that will change the way you think about God, about giving, about eternity. And, uh, and so we have, I think we bought 100 of them. And we thought, let's just take a risk that maybe your response to this message is to come and grab a book and to say, I'm going to keep growing and going and pressing deeper into learning about what the Word of God says about the kind of person I uh, want to become. What's the best version of myself when it comes to money? Am I living that better, bigger, best story that God has for me? And so these books are available as you come for communion, and I'll introduce this in a second. You might just stop here and, oh, we do have a little, 
A little, I guess that's a receptor to say, hey, if you want to put, I think these books cost us five bucks or $5.99. If you want to throw $5 in, you can do that uh, to help subsidize the cost. But if you don't, you don't have to. You could just take a book. It's our gift to you today. Um, the risk is, though, when you give people a book, most of the time, people don't read it. When you buy a book, yeah, you have a greater chance of reading it. So these are here. Uh, for those of you that in your own discipleship, uh, you want some of you are going, I want to keep growing. But then when it comes to money, we're like, eh, I don't want to keep growing that way. Well, <laughs> today, today I want to just nudge you to say, come and I hope, I hope that we get rid of 100 books today. And I hope you read it. And then I hope you don't just feel a conviction in your heart. This isn't about, we're going to try and make you feel guilty so you give. I, I said this last week. Guilt doesn't create long-term, cheerful, generous givers. It creates resentful people. I have given out of kind of obligation at fundraiser events, and you feel kind of pressured to give, and you, you know. And, and then I walked away, and I, and I felt resentful, actually. I felt bitter. I don't want you to feel that way this morning. I don't want you to give because you feel obligated or pressured. Part of what we're trying to do in this series is help you discover the person that God dreams for you to become. It's that God wants more for you than from you. He wants to develop your character. He wants a deeper closeness with you. He wants you to leave a bigger legacy and, and be part of a, a family that's, that's reaching and healing this world. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20 was used for years and years, still today, to lead people to Christ, to get you to raise your hand. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to your life and we'll, we'll have a meal together as friends. The problem with that being a salvation invitation is that it was written to Christians. It was written to believers in the church of Laodicea that were wealthy, that were affluent, that were rich, and they had lost their way. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because we get blinded, we get seduced, and we start putting our trust in that rather than in him. And so this morning, I leave you with that verse just to simply say, I believe that the Lord is knocking on your heart, on your life this morning. Will you open the door of your life and say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life, and I want us to have a conversation, an ongoing one. I want us to have a meal together as friends to talk about money, about my resources, your resources that you've entrusted to me. And I want to get my household, I want to get my life aligned with what you want. I want to live a better story than I'm living. I want to live trusting you. If you hear that knock this morning, I hope that you'll answer the door. So here we are. Our Savior Jesus Christ modeled this life of giving, of sacrifice. He gave his life on the cross for us. His body was broken, his blood was shed, and so we, we rip the bread off and we say, hey, my body broken for you, that's what Jesus said. Take it and eat it in remembrance of him. He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And so Jesus modeled this life of radical, generous giving. And uh, if the desire of your heart is to follow Jesus, like Jono said earlier, there's no secret handshake. There's no code here. It's, it's, it's your heart. It's not, well, I'm, I'm not, 
I'm, I'm Presbyterian, I'm not Covenant, or I'm Catholic, I'm not Protestant. No, no, no. Doesn't matter. All of that at this church doesn't matter. What matters is today, right here, right now, is it the desire of your heart, even if last night you were making choices that dishonored God, but right here, right now, you're like, I want to get right with God. I want to walk with God. I want to experience a personal, close relationship with God. I want my sins forgiven, and I want to have that access to God where we can just talk and we can be friends and it's really, if that's the desire of your heart, you're invited to come. You can kneel, you can stand, you rip off the, the bread, you dip it in the cup. We also will have prayer, our prayer team in the corners. You might want a blessing today. Come for a blessing. Uh, we have the books. So all of you are invited to come. If you don't want to take communion, but you want to read a book, you can do that. What we want to say is this is a welcoming church. And, and, and you... It's the direction of your life. It's not, I'm in or I'm out this morning. It's, is, is the arrow of your life, the direction of your life, facing Jesus, moving you? I want to move towards him. Or if your back's turned toward him going, I don't want to have anything to do with him, then, then you're invited to sit in your chair and pray and, and, and enjoy the, the music and the song. The tables for the, is for those who are, I want more of Jesus in my life. I want to receive his healing in my life. I want to receive his forgiveness in my life. Okay, so when you're ready, you're invited to come. Father, I pray over this auditorium. I pray that the spirit of God would nudge and touch and transform our hearts. There are people in here that need healing, that need help, that need strength, they need encouragement. There are people in here that uh, financially are broken, that are, that are hurting. I pray a hundredfold blessing and provision on their life. And I pray that we as followers of Jesus would be faithful and generous as we follow you. And now meet us at the table. May we hear your whisper that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the Watch and Listen page on OceanHills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.